All right, please turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, I'll be reading Ephesians 5 verses 18 to 19 in a moment. Father, this morning I beg of your work by your Spirit to reaffirm the help of tasting of your glory that music and singing is. Oh, work in us, your people, in the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves, to the glory of your name and to the praise of the gospel of your Son. Amen. This is the 14th and the final sermon in the series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Title this week is, The Holy Spirit is Producing Singers. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5, starting with verse 18, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. No matter what your background, what your personality type is, your upbringing, my exhortation to any genuine believer is don't be cheated, but be a singer. Sing from your heart on a regular basis, alone and especially in the congregation of the believers. The glories of God. Don't just sit there on Sunday mornings thinking that the music, oh, that's just a prelude to uh, the real thing that happens in church. I'm just here for the sermon. As soon as 10 o'clock strikes and the music goes kaboom, worship is begun. The songs of the church are a means of grace. They're one of the means that we have seen in the last couple weeks about the tunnel of salvation. The Word, yes, and the Word sung is part of the Christian warfare. It's not about performance. You can have a horrible voice like I do. It's about taking the glories of Christ, the glories of the gospel, the mercy of God, forming those in poetic ways, putting them to melody. Because God has created music, and melody has a way of taking truths and grabbing our hearts much more easily and reaching our hearts up to God and having a connection by the presence of the Holy Spirit through singing. I want you to turn to the book of Psalms. 
to Psalm chapter 59. In verses 16 and 17, David says, But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Notice that again at the end of verse 16. Because I want to turn the logic around. David speaks of God as his safety fortress. Don't don't just picture a little fort. picture Picture a city of buildings. It is a fortress against the enemy. And he says, God, you to me are my security. My refuge from danger. My fortress. That's what he says at the end of verse 16. For you have been a fortress to me and a refuge in the day of distress. Now here's the logic. Therefore what? Therefore I will sing. Of your strength. I will sing of your steadfast love in the morning. Are you desperate when you wake up in the morning? To pray? To get with the word? Maybe to sing? It's a new day, new challenges. Your flesh is still with you. You are my steadfast love. Notice here, David, manly, very masculine, David says, I will sing. Not just think about the truth of God, but I will sing with melody about your greatness and about your mercy, your love to me, because you are my fortress. Now, let's take David's singing in this psalm and let's put it in its context. Picture yourself as a Tootsie back in 1994, May, in Rwanda. And there are Hutus, mob of them outside of your house. Now, if you don't know and you didn't live through that, The UN is gone, there is no police protection anymore, anarchy is reigning, and already over 800,000 human beings have been hacked to death with machetes. And it's tribal. You're a Tutsi. And the Hutus are outside. Look at the psalm. Go back to the beginning of it. Before verse 1. There's a title that is Bible, not put there by the editors. It is Bible, the context of David's singing. To the choir master, according to do not destroy, a mictum. That's what some type of a musical arrangement. A mictum of David. When Saul sent men to watch his house, in order to kill him. 
What is it like to be surrounded at night by vicious men who have a command from the king to kill you? David gives us a taste in the psalm of what that's like. Look at verses 6 and 7. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips. For who, they think, will hear us? And again in verses 14 and 15. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. Can you imagine the pit in his stomach? Have you ever had a pit in your stomach over some situation? Like sickness? Or a sick, dying loved one? Or the loss of a loved one? Or a turbulent marriage? Or that pit over a wayward child? Or having been slandered? having financial crisis. One time, Paul and Silas, preaching the gospel, were apprehended by the, a mob and beaten, and then the authorities beat them, and they threw them into jail. And at midnight, they began to sing a hymn. Twelve hours before Jesus' he knew exactly what was coming before his brutal torture in death with his apostles before they left the room he sang a hymn to his God. And in this context David was on the run from an irrational king and he was surrounded day after day by bloodthirsty men who were sent by Saul. And their mission was to kill him and David saying, But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been a fortress and a refuge in the day of my Distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you because you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. So, David, in the midst of such horrific, I gotta think, fear, he sang. How did he do it? He did it because he was born again. Because he belonged to Christ. He did it by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Working in him genuine worship, praise, supplication, 
Thanksgiving in the midst of joy and in the midst of fear and in the midst of suffering and in the midst of pain. What David gives us here is been the story throughout the church age. That, that when people of God have been in the most insecure and painful and angry ridden situations is when they've been brought to the brink of eternity. And that's when things get really real. And there's no room for shallowness if they write a song. It's at that point in believers' lives where we get some of the deepest and most penetrating lyrics that comfort the church. I'm going to give three examples this morning. The first is Martin Luther's A Mighty Fortress is Our God that we sing a little bit ago. Martin Luther in the early 1500s, about 22 years of age, a law student, was almost killed by lightning and it freaked him out so badly that he quit law school and fled into an Augustinian monastery and it really got his dad upset. <laughs> but he became a priest. He was looking for a way to shake his wretched sinfulness that he was so conscious of in the fear of death and facing God. But the gospel in the church world had been so hidden for so long in tradition and wrong theology. And then for years after driving his fellow monks out of their mind, Martin was a pretty smart guy, so his leader had some wisdom, send him off to university. And he went and he studied. He got to study New Testament Greek and Old Testament Hebrew and philosophy and theology and Bible. And he got his PhD, became Dr. Martin and became a professor. And he got to teach the Psalms. And he got to teach the book of Romans. And the Bible was becoming life-changing, he was slowly starting to see what was on the pages. Which means he was slowly starting to see the gospel. And he started to challenge the false teachings of the church. He started to preach justification by faith alone, not through sacraments. And he wrote books. And he wrote pamphlets. And then in 1519... The Pope issued a warrant for his arrest and for the burning of all of Martin Luther's books and pamphlets, and he was excommunicated. He was finally called, essentially, to court. It's what a, a diet is a council. It was a secular and a religious council together at the Diet of Worms. And he thought, oh, there, at least I'll be able to defend myself and, and explain my writings in my book. And as he is before the religious and the secular authorities, he's ready to defend his books. He says, nope. One question. Do you recant all of these writings laid out on the table? But, 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 nope. Yes or no? Do you recant everything that you have written? They wouldn't let him speak. He didn't answer. He asked for 
a night to sleep on it. And that night was a torturous night of violent prayer for Martin Luther. His life hung in the balance on this issue. But the next day, again before the Diet, the Council, do you recant? He spoke up and he said, unless convinced by conscience and Scripture, I cannot recant. I can do no other. Here I stand. And he was condemned to death. And in God's providence, he was saved from being killed. But here's the point. Luther experienced great fear. He trembled like we do and like David did. But this is the man who believed that musical singing is second only to the Word of God. Martin Luther wrote, Music is a gift and grace of God, not an invention of men. And thus it drives out the devil and makes people cheerful. The Word and song are two main Ways, means that the Holy Spirit uses in sanctifying believers. And from Martin Luther and his experiences, we get that great hymn from the 1500s, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it became the battle cry for the Reformers as they endured much suffering for their radical belief in a personal and biblical faith in Jesus Christ. Here are the words again that flow from such experiences. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper He amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Do we in our own strength confide? David didn't, did he? You, O oh God, are my fortress. Oh, if we did that, Luther says, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He, Lord Sabaoth, is His name from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. And though the world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. 
this mortal life. Also, the body, they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. The second deep hymn we get is titled, It is Well with My Soul. You know the story? Horatio Spafford was a Chicago attorney and he was a good friend of D.L. Moody. Moody was what, the top evangelist in the world back in the late 1800s. Well, a couple months before he lost much of his wealth in real estate in the Chicago fire of 1871, a few months before that happened, his son died. And in the aftermath of this, he planned a trip to Europe to coincide with a campaign of Moody's in Europe. But he was delayed because of business to get on the ship, but he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead to cross the Atlantic. And in that crossing, their ship was struck by an English vessel, and it sank in 12 minutes. All four daughters died. His wife cabled him from Wells these words, saved alone. He jumped on a ship to join his wife, and the captain of that ship knew that Spafford was on board and what had happened to his family, and so he paused the ship over the place where his daughters, Bessie, Annie, Maggie, and Tanetta, died. And it was there that sorrows like sea billows rolled over his soul. Sea billows are waves. So he penned the words that have brought deep comfort to generations of Christians facing their own great sorrows. We're going to sing this at the end of this service, and I'm going to read the entire words. But in, as we do, you will notice that as powerful as the pain and the emotions were inside of Spafford. This hymn is not about subjective feelings. Instead, it is focused on the objective spiritual reality that anchored him in the midst of such grief, pain, whether he was experiencing peace. Oh, peace. I love peace. Whether he is experiencing peace like a river. Or whether he was experiencing billowing sorrows overwhelming his soul. In the midst of both emotions and both extremes, his heart and his mind, in the hymn, turn to the truth of real, long-term, objective reality that anchored his soul.
in the substitutionary atonement of Christ that wiped away his sin and delivered him from the wrath of God. And so we get when peace like a river attendeth my way or when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul when you put that to melody like we're going to do, there's something about it. There's something about the way the Holy Spirit works the truth with melody in the souls of the saints. Spafford's anchor was the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. It was His assurance of eternal salvation. In his writing of it, Spafford was not callous or in denial of pain. It's that he knew that there is truth that really, eternity is a long time, goes deeper than all the pain. And it doesn't feel like it when we're in it. But he knew that it goes deeper than all of the pain and the heartache of this mortal life. Let me just put it another way. In this great hymn, It's Well With My Soul, what Spafford is doing is just putting poetry to what he knew to be true in Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. Paul writes, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? His answer is no. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Right now. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or sea billows lapping over four dead daughters. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present in your life right now, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, 
nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what Spafford put to poetry and to melody. And the song is a potent reminder of the context of the real Christian life. When unimaginable anguish buffeted Spafford's soul, he turned his mind ultimately, I don't know if he did immediately, he turned his mind and he turned his affections and he turned his heart to the glorious substitutionary atonement where he could say, without denying the pain, it is well with my soul. Here's the point so far in the sermon. If there were no shepherd kings with a mob of vicious, bloodthirsty men waiting to kill him outside his castle, well, he didn't have a castle, he had his house. If there was no Martin Luther whose life hung in the balance as he stood for the truth of the gospel, or if there were no four daughters who drowned in the sea, then the songbook of the Bible and the hymn book of the church would be very thin. And the singing of the church would be much more shallow than it ought to be. Because the real life of a Christian is a life of joy and pain and trauma suffering and joy that kind of singing from a Luther and from a Spafford or from a David is born in the day of distress when we taste then the strength or the might and the mercy and the loving kindness and the security of Christ in the gospel one, one more example William Cowper. Here's a man, never married, a man who struggled all of his life with melancholy. That's what they called it back then, in the 1700s. Today we would call it severe clinical depression. He tried to hang himself and the rope broke. Down the road, he tried it again and almost succeeded as he went unconscious. The noose tore and his body just flopped to the ground. In 1763, while he was institutionalized for two years in an asylum, God's grace began to break through. And William Cowper became a lover of the gospel. Just for just a real moment... God used a man in his life who loved Cowper in all his struggles and loved him year in and year out. That man was named John Newton who gives us another great hymn. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, who saved a wretch. A wretch. A wretch. He knew his sin. Not only that, his life, he was a captain of a ship that went to Africa and back hauling slaves before Jesus' 
grabbed a hold of him. That's where amazing grace comes from. But anyway, here's Cowper. He comes to Christ as his Savior, his refuge, and for the rest of his life, he fought recurring battles with deep depression. But out of his walking grace, in the midst of heart-wrenching darkness at times, we have many penetratingly deep poems and hymns. See, out of those kinds of experiences of God's people, you don't get cheap and silly songs like are abundant today. You don't get songs that just gloss over reality and tragedy and pain and loss. You get deep stuff like Cowper's God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense. But trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. The point of all this is to put David, Psalm 59, verses 16 to 17 in their context. There are bloodthirsty men who have a command from the king to kill David. And he says, I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast Fast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Notice what moves David so deeply. The providential, sovereign power, strength of God and His mercy. That steadfast love there translates the Hebrew chesed. It's this deep, loving mercy. It's deeper than the word love. It's steadfast. It's, It's merciful. Something He knows He doesn't deserve. And for David, God's strength and His mercy come together in the text and make Him a fortress. Safety. Like Spafford. Yet, 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 that's true. Yet, it's well with my soul. 
David says it twice in verse 16. I will sing of your strength. And I'll sing of your mercy, your steadfast love. And watch it. Therefore, for, because, this is the connection, strength and mercy are his fortress. Because you have been a fortress to me and a refuge, a place of safety in the time, in the day of my very distress. And he says it again in verse 17, so we do not miss the point of praise, of worship, of singing. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you because you, O oh God, are my fortress. The God who shows me steadfast love. This is the same strength in mercy and the fortress of Martin Luther, of Horatio Spafford, and of William Cowper. David sang to this God in 1000 B.C. 2,500 years later, in the early 1500s, Martin Luther would sing the same praises. In the 1700s, Cowper. In the 1800s, Spafford. And the question for us today is, when will we sing of the might and the mercy of God? I mean, really sing. So often, that real, deep singing is in the midst of pain, in the midst of trial. It is then where God the Holy Spirit does some of His deepest life-changing, forming work. It is then we experience Him more truly and more experientially as our refuge. Because we sense the danger more than ever. So let's never, ever fail to appreciate the privilege of singing together as a church. Whether it's a cappella, or with one guitar, or with a whole orchestra, to sing the psalms, or to take the Bible, put it to melody, as the deer panteth for the water. That's what that is. Take the psalm and we put it to melody. Or we sing the hymns of the church. There's something about those who are being saved and on this sojourn of this mortal life down here coming together singing. In this room, most likely, some of you have cried just this week over a wayward child, over missing the loss 
feeling the loss of a loved one, over the heartache that your own sin has caused and you feel in your life today, over the struggle of marriage, singleness, finances. That's this age that we live in. And we have a fortress. We have a refuge. And there's a place when you're all alone to pray or to pray with melody called singing. And there's a place in that where God the Holy Spirit works profoundly. But then, the first day of the week, you come to a place like this also with others and you're singing, you are my refuge and my fortress becomes He is our refuge and our fortress. There is nothing else on earth like voices in Christ united in song. So as we close this morning, I want us to jointly unite our hearts and our voices as we sing, as David sang, or as we obey the apostles' words, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. In a moment, we're going to sing Horatio Spafford's It Is Well With My Soul. But first, before we do, I'm going, to, I'm going to read the poetry of what we're going to sing. And then we'll stand at that point and sing it together with all our hearts. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed His own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's stand together and sing it. <laughs>